The Dory Monson Show on Cairo Radio. This is The Big Lead. Welcome, welcome to The Big Show. Dory Monson's Big Show. Brandy Cruz filling in this week, next week. Dory won't be back until next year, which I can't even believe we were talking about this yesterday on the show. I can't believe it's going to be 2023 soon. I'm glad Dory's taking the holidays off. That man deserves it. He's going to spend some time with family, and I think that's great. Uh, It's nasty out there today. I guess that's the big story on the big lead. The weather is terrible. Man, I woke up this morning. I won't say exactly where I live, but East King County. It was like this, this aggressive rain, hail, slush, blowing in the wind. It was terrible. And usually the dogs love to go outside when it's snowing and they'll go and, you know, whatever, eat the snow and play and stuff. But <laughs> it took like three, they were whining, whining, whining this morning. And then they took three steps outside. They're like, no, thank you. <laughs> so roads are gross. So if you're out on the roads listening today, be careful that that uh, rain, I'm sure, is going to make the roads really, really slick that you've had. And then I know some areas have snow. So uh, we'll be updating you, of course. Throughout the show in the newscasts on the situation on the roads and with the weather. But in the meantime, let's get right to the big lead. The big lead, big local. On my podcast and when I've been filling in for Dory. So I filled in for Dory um, just after the November election. And at the time, there were still some races that were in limbo that had not been decided yet. One of them was a house race in Washington state in the 10th legislative district. And the man who ended up winning that race, albeit it was, you know, kind of back and forth and tight margins, was Democrat Clyde Shavers. Oh, you'll remember Clyde, our friend Clyde. Clyde Shavers at the onset appeared to be a wonderful candidate for Democrats Great education, military background, uh, farming family, just an interesting guy all around. And he was, of course, running uh, for the seat that is currently held by Republican Greg Gilday. Well, Clyde Shavers won. He's going to end up taking that seat. But the problem is that sometime after ballots came out in November... It was revealed that Clyde Shavers had lied about some of the most critical parts of his background. He inflated his military service, saying that he worked aboard a nuclear nuclear submarine as a uh, submarine officer when that wasn't true at all. He had also lied about being a lawyer, uh, has never passed the bar exam. And there were some other you know, lies about his family, and it was his dad who ended up exposing all of this. Uh, ended up writing in a letter about he just couldn't take his son's lies anymore, and that's not how he raised his son. So myself, Dory, I mean, we were livid that this is someone who Democrats stood behind, and they did. And I I see no indication that Democrats are planning to oust Clyde Shavers once he finally takes office in the new year. And to me, if you know, if you get your job, and the, the vote margin in this race is very slim. If you're elected based on material falsehoods, I think that you should have that position stripped from you. 
But instead, we leave it up to the political party, you know, to decide what they want to do with him. Do they want to let him keep his seat or do they want to ask him to resign and then appoint another Democrat who they like to the seat? It's a win win for Democrats. They just care about a warm body and the number of votes they have. So we heard very little from Democrats condemning what Clyde Shavers did. And it it would invariably be their excuse was, oh, well, look at this Republican who lied and this Republican who lied. And to me, I've always preached moral consistency. And that is, as individuals, we set our moral compass and we stay the course. And that means that we don't care or consider the political affiliation of someone when we decide whether they think their words or their actions suck. And in this case, for me, it wasn't about Clyde Javers being a Democrat. He could have been a Republican, could have told the exact same lies, and I would have had the exact same problem with it. And now we find ourselves in a situation like that. So we have to go all the way over to New York State, and there is a GOP congressman-elect who is the apparently the Clyde Shavers of New York. So this is a guy um, who, again, by all accounts, appeared to be a wonderful candidate. His name is George Santos. He um, was running to represent a Long Island district that Joe Biden easily won in 2020. And he was an interesting candidate for Republicans. He um, was openly gay. And there were other things in his background that Republicans looked at him and just thought, wow, that's a really unique, interesting candidate for us. And George Santos ended up winning. So he is now the congressman. He's 34 years old. He's young, just like Clyde Shavers. He is now the congressman-elect in that Long Island district. But there's a problem. As the New York Times uh, reported, some elements of of, um, George Santos's background are starting to be in doubt. You know, this is someone who said, Again, I just so many similarities to Clyde Shavers, who said he had this interesting background, said he was going to a public college, went on to become a uh, seasoned Wall Street financier, had a family owned real estate uh, portfolio of 13 properties and operated an animal rescue charity that saved more than twenty five hundred dogs or dogs and cats. So it's like, oh, wow, really interesting guy. Well, none of that is true. So the New York Times finds out that some key aspects of his bio that he put forth, these weren't just mild exaggerations. These were huge lies, as an example. Um, Santos told voters he attended NYU. Well, NYU has no record of the guy. He uh, said he worked for Citigroup as an associate asset manager. Well, Citigroup has no record of his employment. He also said that he worked for Goldman Sachs. Well, Goldman Sachs has no record of his employment. Uh, Again, reminds me so much of Clyde Shavers. And of course, Democrats are now freaking out about Republican George Santos and these lies and them saying that he shouldn't be allowed to serve in Congress. And I agree. I agree 100 percent. Because to me, it's not, and to me and to any rationally thinking common sense person who doesn't bask in the glow of a single political party and think they can do no wrong, liars are liars. George Santos is a liar. Clyde Shavers is a liar. 
yeah, one's a Republican and one's a Democrat, but I don't care. If you deceive voters and that deception contributes to your victory, you don't deserve to keep the seat. And so I always, I just always find um, the political responses to things like this so fascinating. Because like I said, a liar is a liar. And that you ha- yet you have these parties that'll rally around their own liars and then point fingers at the other party when they have someone who lies. And that is the, the fastest race to the bottom that I can possibly think of. So, you know, I don't want to hear, for instance, any Democrats in our state talk about this George Santos fella in New York if they didn't say anything about Clyde Shavers. And I think we just have to work on being morally consistent. And to me, that's one of the things that can absolutely turn this country around is just moral consistency and expecting that of people. You know, we saw a lot like in 2020 with the riots in Seattle where Democrats are like, oh, no problems here. And then the January 6th capital attack happened. They're like, ah, you know, it's a riot, insurrection, which I think January 6th was a national embarrassment. But when you don't call out riots and um, acts of political violence from your own party and then want to point the finger, to me, it's just disingenuous. And to me, you just lose all ground to be able to speak out against it. So, yeah, George Santos, New York has its own Clyde Shavers, little lion George Santos uh, in New York, who's a congressman-elect. We'll see what happens with him. Um, I I don't think anything will happen with Democrat Clyde Shavers in Washington state. I think Democrats are just going to let him keep his job and act as if he's learned his lesson. Up next in The Big Lead. The Big Lead. Top Trending. As we know, property crimes are out of control. Um, We've done some stories. uh, Dory has done some stories here in the last few weeks. uh, And we had talked about another one yesterday about um, non-residential burglaries. So burglaries targeting businesses, for instance, just being um, at insane levels. You know, Serafina Restaurant in Seattle, which has been there for 30 years, has been dealing with one burglary after another. You know, they had just a handful in 30 years, and then all of a sudden the last um, two years they've had 18. And that's just not sustainable for any business. And there was an art dealership in downtown Seattle that uh, same situation. They continue to get hit by burglaries. And how do you operate like that? Well, Pierce County is no exception. Pierce County has also been dealing with a spike in a lot of crime, types of crime, like non-residential burglaries, car thefts across the entire state have been out of control. The same is true in Pierce County. Uh, Sergeant Darren Darren Moss spoke with our friend uh, David Rose over at Fox Seattle about just what a difficult situation their agency is facing. Non-residential burglaries are up 25%. And people might look at that and say, well, back in February, it was up 92% for burglaries to commercial businesses. But when you look at that statistic, realistically, if we lived in a perfect world, our crime stats would be at zero every year. It'd be the same moving forward or they'd they'd go lower. So if we see a 5% increase in burglaries, we know that's not good and we need to focus on burglaries. When you're seeing everything is at 17, 25, 60, 80% increases, that's a really big problem for us to try to tackle because we have so many different categories that are way above a 5% increase, which would normally draw our attention 
we're looking at, you know, the 20 to, so like I said, um, 80% increases on crime. So where do we focus? How do we um, use our resources that we have that are limited? Because we have a, a growing population and we have way more calls coming in. So it's just a, a good way to kind of measure where we are as a department. And right now, all um, jurisdictions throughout the state pretty much seeing an increase in amount of law enforcement officers. Um, and then we're also seeing an increase in violent crime as well. Now, there is some good news, though, out of Pierce County. According to Sergeant Darren Moss, again, speaking with our friend David Rose, they are now going to start booking some of these people into jail again. Now, remember, you know, a pandemic happened and there were restrictions, some some of them self-imposed on who, who they would be able to book and who they wouldn't book to avoid overcrowding, et cetera, et cetera. And this is, was problematic because if you're out there stealing cars and you just kind of get, even if you get caught, you're not going to jail. I mean, you're not going to show up for court. And so they're just, it was feeding into this environment of lawlessness and there being zero consequences for your actions. So Sergeant Moss tells uh, David Rose that, yeah, they're going to start locking these people up again and they're going to have to go before a judge. We are arresting people for auto theft and burglary. Again, those are two of the biggest crimes that we've seen an increase in over the past couple of years. And we were unfortunately not able to book them because, again, low staffing and the jail being shut down due to COVID outbreaks. I won't say restrictions, outbreaks. Um, but now if we get one of those guys in custody that has been stealing cars, they go to jail and they're going to get assigned a bail from the prosecutor's office. Sometimes they can make that bill. A lot of times they can't. But uh, the good news is that, yes, people are going back to jail for um, stealing cars, breaking into houses, breaking into commercial uh, structures. And, and that's that's going to help us a lot. By right? We know that they reoffend over and over again. So we're catching these guys, getting them off the street. That's less cars that we're seeing stolen. And if you look at the auto theft task force, uh, we were up near a thousand cars taken in, in February or March. And now we're back down to about seven or eight hundred uh, in a month, which is way, way better. You know, it's still really high for us. Uh, there'd be going the trend going down and going back up. And I mean, thank God that's happening again, because it does make a difference. It does make a difference if you know that if you go out, you steal a vehicle, you get stopped, you're going to be booked into jail. You're going to have to stay there. You're going to have to see a judge. Um and, and, and then now they have some investment in the system, right? If you've got to post bail in order to get out, you have more of an incentive to come back and to go to court. And so um, in Pierce County, I mean, I'm glad to see that they're going to start booking these folks back into jail. I think it will make a big, big difference. Uh, but as you heard Sergeant Darren Moss say there just a little bit ago, I mean, gosh, they're understaffed, as are most agencies across the state. We have the lowest number of police officers per capita in the entire nation. And then they have these um, crimes on the rise. And you do have to prioritize. I mean, that is one of the downsides is you've got these burglaries on the rise. You've got car thefts that have exploded. But you also have a lot of violent crime. You know, you have record homicides and shootings. And when you are short staffed, you have to prioritize your resources. And so even if you are booking these folks into jail, I think there's this question of, do you have the deputies to go out and to investigate these crimes, to be able to book people into jail? And so that's the other element of this. And if you, that doesn't add up, if that doesn't, um, the, the resources end of it 
doesn't add up to the will, then it doesn't really, then it doesn't really matter. You might have the will to book these people into jail, but do you have the resources to investigate these sorts of crimes? But that, I think, some good news out of Pierce County. Jail reopens bookings for property crimes. And that has been your big lead this hour. The Big Lead on Cairo Radio. Coming up after the news, the legislative session is just a couple weeks away in Olympia. And there is going to be yet another effort to rein in the governor's emergency powers. We'll talk about the bill that's taking shape and whether it has any chance of passing. Welcome back to the Dory Monson Show. Brandy Cruz filling in on this holiday week, this icy, snowy day in the Pacific Northwest. I hope some of you are hunkered down at home, uh, but I know, you know, the world must go on. And I saw people out on the roadways today, so I know some of you out there working, commuting, just drive safe. The new legislative session begins in Olympia in a couple weeks, and Republicans are going to try their hand at... Yet another effort to rein in Governor Jay Inslee's emergency power. And I I should rephrase that, actually. It's not about reining in Governor Jay Inslee's emergency power. It's about reining in any governor's emergency power. I will never understand why so many Democrats were okay with, one, the length of our state of emergency around covid but two, the extent to which they were cut out of decision-making by a governor of their own party, it, it baffles me. But, you know, this type of top-down, unchecked power, it's just not how our system is supposed to work. So the latest effort to undo this is actually a bipartisan effort. It's being supported by one Republican, Senator Linda Wilson, and one Democrat, Senator Mark Mullet. They pre-filed this uh, just last night, and it's Senate Bill 5063. So the effort here is to try to give the legislature some semblance of oversight when it comes to an emergency power situation. So this is, uh, the name of this act is very long. This act may be known and cited as the bipartisan approach to legislative authority necessary in continuing emergencies act of 2023. So it would implement three different types of reforms to the current way that legislative oversight works in Washington state. If the legislature is in session, it would allow it to pass a concurrent resolution that would terminate an emergency declaration. And look, that's a high bar. And that's why I don't understand. Why are Democrats so worried about that? First of all, Democrats are probably always going to have the governor's office and at least one of two chambers. To have both the House and the Senate agree overwhelmingly that, yeah, we need to uh, end this state of emergency, that's a very high bar to get to. And it would only happen in an instance where a governor is grossly abusing their emergency powers. So that should be just non-controversial. I, I don't see the problem there. The second part of Senate Bill 5063 went out of session and more than 90 days after an emergency declaration has been issued. All four members of the House and Senate leadership can terminate the declaration in writing. So this is for when the uh, legislature is not in session. The leaders of the House and the leaders of the Senate can come together and terminate an emergency in writing. Again, this is a very high bar. 
You'd have to get some agreement amongst the parties. You'd have to have them come together and say, hey, we're unanimous on this. It's time to end this emergency declaration. Very high bar. Would only be possible if a governor was, again, grossly abusing their emergency powers. I fail to see the controversy. Now, the other one is a little more nuanced. But essentially, and you saw this during the COVID-19 state of emergency, there are different types of abilities that the governor has. So he can um, issue some of the declarations that he issued, the really restrictive, you know, oh, we're shutting things down, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But he was also, and this didn't get much fanfare, he's able to suspend certain types of laws, like the collection of certain kinds of taxes, as an example. And usually those are things that, you know, the Four Corners would sign off on because it wasn't a big deal. It was the really controversial, restrictive mandates that were a big deal and that the legislature and the leaders in the legislature had no ability to sign off on. So what Senate Bill 5063 would do would be to bring parity in how those two things are are dealt with. So suspension of law would be treated in the exact same way as these uh, declarations that the governor dictated from the mount. And both of them would make it so that those actions would expire after 30 days unless they were extended by the legislature. So there's an automatic 30-day expiration unless the legislature comes together and says, hey, yeah, we need to continue this declaration or we need to continue to suspend this law because this is a true emergency. That, again, it's a, it's a very high bar, and it requires bipartisan effort. It requires bipartisan agreement and would only be used in extreme circumstances. Not to mention that Washington is just on a, on a, a field of its own when it comes to the complete ability that the governor has to kind of govern on his own in a time of emergency or what he deems to be a time of emergency. So again, this is... And good for Mark Mullet, Senator Mark Mullet, man. He has been vilified by the governor for being too moderate, et cetera, et cetera. And he's been really committed throughout the pandemic to this idea of emergency power reform. And so here he is joining Senator Linda Wilson, a Republican, in saying, hey, let's now that we're out of the pandemic, let's give this another shot. And that was only that was one of the kind of questions I had during this for Republicans who wanted emergency power reform, which is, should we wait till we're out of the pandemic? Are things just too political, too hot potato right now to get in middle of the pandemic, uh, middle of an ongoing state of emergency and try to fix things? Um, And some of them said, well, maybe, but we have to try anyway. And, And I do agree. I'm glad that Republicans tried and tried and tried during the state of emergency to change things, obviously to no avail. But now that we're out of the pandemic, safely out of the pandemic, there should be no excuse. There should be no excuse for this bill, Senate Bill 5063, not to get some momentum behind it. And for even Democratic uh, legislators to say, hey, I was sent here by the voters. I was sent here as the directly elected representative of my district, of my area in the state. And you know what? I want to say in things. I want to say over things. If there's a big emergency in our state, I want to say for my constituents. And I don't know if it's just cowardice, if it's just, you know, blind political loyalty that they wouldn't stand up to the governor, but it's like stand up for your constituents. And above all, you know, I really wanted to be in a position where these lawmakers would have to take a vote on this stuff. You know, they would have to say, yeah, we believe that there should be, that businesses should be closed for another four months. And I'm going to vote yes or no on that. And then that's on the record. 
where they have to say, here's where I stand on helping struggling small businesses during a state of emergency, et cetera. So um, kudos to Senators Wilson and Mullet for introducing this again, for trying on this again. I don't know whether there's going to be the political will to actually do something about it, but I think all of you should reach out to your elected representative, whether they're a Democrat or a Republican, send them an email kindly, a nicely worded, worded email, and let them know why you think emergency power reform is important and let them know why you want them to have more of a say when push comes to shove and we're in the middle of an emergency again, because it is going to happen. All right, coming up after the break, Stanford has released a list of harmful language that it plans to either eliminate or replace altogether. I wish Dory was here with his woke word dice, because I think we're going to need it. Stanford. Oh, Stanford (laughs) on its website says freedom of speech is core to the mission of academic life at our university. Maybe not so much. So Stanford said it's going to be embracing recommendations to um, either completely eliminate or replace words that it finds harmful, harmful language. So apparently this is part of um, what's called a an elimination of harmful language initiative. The goal is essentially to stop using words and language, you know, by you know, official capacity by the university that might be harmful or hurt someone's feelings, I guess, etc. <laughs> so I was going to look at this and think, you know, some of them will probably be pretty obvious. You know, words that generally, the general consensus is that, yeah, that word is a little offensive. So one of them is tranny, okay? And, and yeah, I, I don't think the the word tranny is, is widely, con- I think it's widely considered to be inappropriate and insensitive. I, and I also just don't think people use it anymore. But the kicker is what you're supposed to say instead of tranny. Like, can you just not say tranny, but it says uh, that's going to be replaced by non-gendering conforming folk. Non-gender conforming folk. Okay, I don't think anybody is going to say, this is that's the actual quote, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's a non-gender conforming folk. <laughs> Sounds stupid. Um, there's some others that are just kind of odd, and, and the idea is to not be ableist. So, for instance, instead of the word addict, you'd replace that with person with a substance use disorder. Instead of blind study, you'd say mast study, because you don't want to discriminate against the blind, of course. Instead of walk-in, like, oh, here's my walk-in hours, you'd have to say open office, because some people can't walk, of course. Uh, Let's see some other ones. Um, Oh, preferred pronouns will now be replaced simply by the word pronouns because they say the word preferred suggests that non-binary gender identity is a choice and a preference as opposed to who someone really is. And then there's some that are just absolutely unnecessary changes, like um, the word ballsy. Instead of saying ballsy, you're supposed to say bold. (laughs) Uh, and then American. You can't say American. According to Stanford, yeah, too woke. You have to replace it with U.S. citizen because the phrase American implies that, quote, 
the U.S. is the most important country in the Americas. <laughs> so if you say American, oh, you're just you're co-opting that word for the other countries in the Americas. So instead of American, you have to say U.S. citizen. Uh, and that, according to Stanford, just some really harmful words. All right, let's go to New Zealand quickly, because this one's wild. I was glad Nicole had this on the show sheet today because I had seen it. And I was like, that can't be true. So New Zealand really went off the deep end when it came to COVID and, um, I mean, complete police state stuff, you know, locking people in uh, these COVID camps and then, you know, going on manhunts if they escape from the camps, just crazy stuff. Well, New Zealand, the um, uh, New Zealand intelligence uh, agencies have come together and uh, created a booklet that is meant to help advise its citizens about what to look out for to know whether someone might be radicalized as a terrorist or might be um, considering carrying out some sort of terror attack in the the country. And that's fine. I mean, we have, you know, uh, see something, say something in the United States that that was a result of 9-11. And so you urge and we urge that locally. If you see something weird, say something. If you see some suspicious package or device or something on public transit, Um, All of our eyes are much better than just the eyes of the intelligence agency or police. And so, of course, it's not a bad thing to say. Yeah, if you see something, say something. But New Zealand (laughs) has taken things a step further. So they have this, you know, booklet, this pamphlet that tells people what to watch out for. Indicators that they might be terrorists or thinking about doing something extreme. Like one of the examples they give is if they're writing something on a weapon, So apparently this has happened in several other instances where if someone's going to carry out a mass attack, like with a sword or something, they might write an inscription on the sword and it's part of this sort of um, their attack and and their their psyche or whatever. Well, uh, let me allow this uh, New Zealand intelligence chief to explain another indicator that someone might be prepared to carry out a mass casualty attack. A person who is who is really developing an us versus them worldview. Authorities say they're usually closely monitoring 40 to 50 potential terrorists. These people used to be motivated by their white identity or by their faith. But in the past six months, a third group has emerged, those motivated by politics. And so it could be the COVID measures that the government took, and, or it could be other policies that are interpreted as, as infringing on rights. Uh, and 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 it's a, what I sometimes describe as a kind of hot mess of, of ideologies and beliefs um, fueled by conspiracy theories. Yes, if you're critical of actions the government took during COVID, you might be a terrorist. Indeed, if you are concerned about actions that might have infringed on your rights and you spoke out about that, well, you, my friend, in New Zealand, might be considered a terrorist. New Zealand is wild. And Nicole and I are going to New Zealand uh, in the spring. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope they don't look at my social media and see all the stuff I said about COVID lockdowns and everything, because then we're going to have a problematic situation on our hands. So I'm going to have to be a good girl between now and New Zealand and not say anything about COVID measures or raise any concerns about policies that I think might be infringing on my rights as a citizen. So yeah, New Zealand puts out a booklet. They want their citizens to be on high alert All right, Brandy Cruz filling in for Dory Monson. We'll have the fastest 15 minutes in the news coming up after the break. 
uh, including a 911 dispatcher in Seattle who says he was punished about warning the city of a dispatch issue that actually cost a dad his life. Stick around. 